Good morning. If you've just started attending New Denver in the past couple months, you probably don't know who I am, but my name is Emily Schultz and I'm one of the pastors here. I've just been out on maternity leave for the past 12 weeks, so it is so good to be back with you guys today. I was around for Sundays in May and June, but then my family took the whole month of July to go travel to Wisconsin. My husband, Phil, is from Wisconsin, and he's a teacher and has the summers off, and so we road tripped up there, and it was such a great month. I wish I could have brought all of you along with me, but don't worry, I took pictures. So this is our family in Door County. We spent most of the month in Phil's hometown, Eau Claire, but then one week we decided to travel all around the state exploring. So this was one of our stops. We stayed at, uh, in Door County for a couple of days. It's just this really pretty peninsula in the northeast part of Wisconsin, and I'd never been there. So that's uh, my daughter, Eva. She's three. There's Bailey. She's two. And then little Teddy is in the carrier and that's Phil. Me, you can tell I'm wearing the same outfit. Not much, <laughs> not much fits these days. Okay, that is Bailey. So we road tripped this summer, so we spent a lot of time in the car. And one day, we stopped at this restaurant to grab lunch and actually bring it over to Megan and Taylor Anderson's place. They're former NDCers who are from Wisconsin and then moved back there this past spring. So super excited to see them. They say hi. Um, but anyway, we stop at this restaurant. Phil goes in to get the tacos. I'm sitting in the car with the kids. And all of a sudden, I hear, Mommy, I can see you. And I looked back. And this is my two-year-old. She had unbuckled herself and had turned around completely and was poking her head out the side of her car seat. It was cute, but then I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad she never did this while we were driving. This is Eva. She is loving life at the beach in Wisconsin. And if you know me, you know I love the beach, so I like to think this picture is the proof that if there is a beach in your state, I will find it. We picked a lot of fruit as a family this summer. This is the girl's blueberry picking, just fistfuls straight into the mouth. It was glorious. This is us picking cherries. So there's Eva, Bailey, and then here's little Teddy, again, in the carrier. And here's a picture where you can actually see Teddy. So this is the newest addition to our family, Theodore Philip Schultz. He's right there in person. And is he wearing the same outfit? We are just really in sync today, Teddy. Um, but he, he loves to nurse, he loves to snuggle, he does not like pacifiers, he's very sweet, and we're all pretty obsessed with him. It was a great maternity leave, the 12 weeks absolutely flew by, and they were such a gift. So I just want to say, it's sometimes hard to juggle being a pastor and being a mom, so thank you for allowing me to drop one of those roles for a moment and to devote myself to my family. I really appreciate that. We're starting a new series today, looking at the lives of two people in the Old Testament, Hannah and Samuel. But before we dive into our passage, I want to give you a little bit of backdrop. So the Israelites are living in the Promised Land, and they're being led by a series of judges. And when we teach kids about this time period in New Denver, we show them this image. The Israelites were caught in this cycle of rebellion, repentance, and restoration. They would rebel against God, and then things wouldn't go their way, and God would swoop in and restore them. They would repent, he would restore them, and then they would rebel again. So that's what happened over and over. They'd rebel, they would say, I'm so sorry, things aren't going our way, we repent, God would restore them, rebel again. So they went around and around this cycle during the time of the Judges, and then the book of Judges ends with this statement, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit or a different translation puts it this way, in those days there were no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
the Israelites had been given specific instructions on how they were to live and govern themselves as a people in order to be a light to the other nations and to show the world who God was and what he's like. They were blessed to be a blessing, but along the way they forgot God and his ways, and everyone was just doing whatever they wanted. This is the world that we enter when we begin reading about Hannah and Samuel. So let's read, starting in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. All right, let's pause there. There are a few things to point out. First, we read a bunch of names. This genealogy helps us see, one, these are real people living in a real place in a real time in history. Two, this is an Israelite family descended from Abraham, Isaac, and one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And three, this family is probably fairly wealthy. In First Chronicles, we learn that this line is from the Kohathite family of Levitical priests who were originally tasked with caring for the Ark of the Covenant. So they were in many ways an ordinary family, but likely on the wealthier side. This is important because we read that Elkanah is an Israelite man who has two wives. He has Hannah and Peninnah. Now, polygamy wasn't uncommon, particularly among the wealthy, and in this case it seems to be a clear matter of practicality due to Hannah's infertility. Wealthy men required a male heir to continue their line. Now, this passage is not advocating for polygamy, Elkanah is following a cultural custom, but we see throughout the Old Testament that polygamy is not God's design for marriage or human sexuality. It's not God's best or his intent for human flourishing, and it always creates problems. Let's keep reading. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Again, this is the time of the judges when everyone's doing whatever they want. So here, we have a glimmer of hope. Here is an Israelite family who's actually remembering the law. They're going up and faithfully worshiping Yahweh and sacrificing to him each year. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Elkanah is depicted as an upstanding Israelite. He cares for his family, especially for his wife, Hannah, and he keeps his religious commitments. He's presented to us as a good guy. But Hannah is in a deeply painful situation. In this society, the most important role for a woman was to be a mother. Struggling with infertility caused a lot of embarrassment, shame. To make things worse, the other woman in this scenario would torment Hannah and rub her infertility in her face. You can picture Hannah in this scene, can't you? She's depressed, distressed, anxious, weeping, with no appetite to eat. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, 
Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. In her lowest moments, Hannah prays. She begs God to give her a son, and she makes a vow that if he does, she'll take that son and give him right back to God. She'll devote that son to Yahweh for all the days of his life. Eli the priest mistakes her for being drunk. This woman is grieving and pouring out her heart to God, and the priest, who should know better and recognize when a person is earnestly praying, instead just tells her to sober up. She defends herself, explains the situation, and finally Eli blesses her and says, Go in peace, and may God grant you what you have asked of him. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. This is amazing. God hears Hannah's prayer, and after years of infertility, he allows her to become pregnant and to have a baby. Now we know it doesn't always happen this way. We probably all know people who have struggled to get or to stay pregnant. It's heartbreaking. When all you want more than anything is to have a baby, and it's totally out of your control and over and over again, it just doesn't happen for you. That can be crushing. In our day and age, we have fertility specialists and treatments that can help, but the treatments are grueling and expensive, and sometimes even those fail. I know there are people in this church community and maybe even in this room who have been trying for years to have a baby, and it hasn't happened for them yet. It's not like you haven't prayed. Stories in the Bible like this can be hard to read because it makes it look so simple. Hannah is sad. Hannah wants a baby. Hannah prays. Nine months later, God gives Hannah a baby. You might read that and think, God, why don't you do that for me? And all I can say is, I don't know. I don't know why God hasn't given you a baby. I really wish he would. As a church, we're called to be a family. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So if you resonate with the deep pain that Hannah felt in her longing for a child, we mourn with you. On some level, we all get this. We all experience longings. We all have things we pray to God and ask him for. And sometimes he remains silent. And his silence is a no or a not yet. God, heal me. God, restore this relationship. God, take away this temptation. God, fix this broken situation. We look for a yes, and sometimes we get a no. The no's can be devastating. We don't understand why God answers no, and we mourn. But oh, how sweet it is when God answers those prayers of earnest longing with a yes. 
we rejoice with those who rejoice. Hannah gives birth to baby Samuel, and she is overjoyed. Chapter 2 begins with her prayer. The message version translates verse 1 this way. Hannah prayed, I'm bursting with God news. I'm walking on air. I'm laughing at my rivals. Looking at you, Penina. I'm dancing my salvation. This is one happy mama. Hannah's prayer is beautiful and is an example of praise for those who come after her. In fact, did you know that Hannah is the role model for Mary, Jesus' mother? Mary's prayer after Jesus is born, which we call the Magnificat, has parallels to Hannah's prayer. As a good Jew, Mary would have known Hannah's prayer, and apparently she used it as a pattern that she modified to create her own. Hannah's legacy extends for generations, and she's an inspiration to us all, and not just because of her prayer. Let's read on in the story. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Good answer. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and God has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. If we skip down to chapter 2, past Hannah's prayer, we read, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Hannah fulfills her vow. Remember what she had promised? Yahweh, she bargained with God, saying, If you give me a son, I'll give him right back to you. He'll live with the priest and serve you all his life. As a pastor, I think, well, yeah, you should probably keep the promises that you make to God. But as a mom, I don't know if I could do it. And I had every excuse not to follow through. Wouldn't it have been easier for Hannah to say, yeah, God, I know what I promised. But that was pretty drastic, don't you think? I didn't really mean it. I'm sure you wouldn't expect me to follow through with something like that. I was anxious and depressed and hungry and tired and not thinking straight. My hormones were raging. Penina had really gotten under my skin that day. It was rash, and I'm sorry I said it, but I know you'll forgive me. And anyway, he needs me. It's better for Samuel to be with his mother. Bottom line, God, I'm keeping my baby. I bet that's what I'd say. I'm guessing that's probably what you'd say. And we wouldn't judge each other for it. We would totally understand. Hannah had every excuse to not give Samuel over to the service of the Lord like she had initially vowed. And don't think for a second that Hannah gives Samuel up because she doesn't care about him. This wasn't buyer's remorse. This isn't a story of parental neglect. Hannah was a loving, attentive, and devoted mother. She took care of Samuel until he was weaned, which in that culture was probably around age two or three. She nursed him. She snuggled him. She changed his diapers. She did all the things any good mother would do. I told you that I just spent the last 12 weeks with my family, and when I think about my kids, I can't help but feel like I would do anything for them, do anything to keep them safe, to 
help them feel loved, to see them thrive. We mothers give ourselves to our children. We sacrifice our bodies, our brains, our comfort, our sleep. We love these little people more than we can express in words. And if you're a parent, you get this. Sure, you've probably had moments where you want to ship your kids off to boarding school, but overall, we want to hold our babies close. I know we aren't all parents in this room, but we all have things that we love and are devoted to. Our jobs, our friends, our schoolwork, our sports, our hobbies, the causes we support. For Hannah, it was Samuel. Hannah loved her son with all her heart. Hannah was devoted to Samuel. And yet, Hannah was devoted to God even more. Hannah is a picture of a person who, in a time when everyone is doing whatever they want, was completely devoted to God. God gave Hannah her heart's deepest desire, and instead of clinging on to it, she opened her hands and gave it right back. Hannah was devoted to God, and she devoted Samuel to God to live with Eli, the priest, in a life of service to Yahweh. One Bible scholar puts it this way, in remarkable faithfulness to her vow, and in one of the most sobering scenes of devotion in the books of Samuel, Hannah finds it possible to return to God what he has so graciously given to her. Having come to God with nothing, she now returns to Shiloh to give back that which means everything. We know that God was pleased with Hannah's grand gesture of devotion. As followers of Jesus, we're called to love God above all else. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And in another place, Jesus says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Hannah inspires us by her example. She holds nothing back from God, not even her greatest love and treasure. She shows us what it looks like to live a life completely devoted to God, and she proves her devotion in the lows of life and in the highs. In her lowest moment, she inspires us in her vulnerability and transparency before God. She shows us what it looks like to wholeheartedly lament, to cry out to God and to entrust a situation to him, to beg him to act or intervene. She takes her pain and instead of stuffing it down or ignoring it, she brings it before God with a humility and a tenderness that we know he honors no matter what the outcome is or how he responds to our requests. In her greatest moment of joy, Hannah inspires us as she turns to God in gratitude and praise. She remembers him and his work in her life, and she gives him the credit that he deserves for how he brought about a change in her situation. We're so prone to forget God, and we too quickly move on after he does answer a prayer of ours with a yes. Hannah inspires us to slow down and reflect and thank God for the ways he's working in our world and in our lives. So I have a question for you. What would it look like for you to be devoted to God? What would it look like for you to be devoted to God, walking in relationship with him and holding nothing back through the highs and the lows of life? We'll come back and unpack this more in the next two weeks, but let's wrap up the rest of our story. Hannah is completely devoted to God, and God blesses Hannah. We read this, And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. 
We'll pick up the story next week and talk about Samuel, but I want to close by taking a few minutes for us to reflect on Hannah's prayer. We read the first verse together, but I'd like to ask the host team to pass out these pieces of paper. We have a stack of them right here. You guys go. You can pass these out and the band will play one song. There you go. I want us to take a few minutes to read through these words. Use this prayer as a guide to thank God for who he is. He's a God who's present, who hears his people when they cry out. He's a God who cares and answers and acts. He silences the wicked. He brings justice on the earth. He breathes life. He gives hope. He doesn't leave us to navigate this world alone. We can be devoted to God because we trust that he's good and that he loves us. Maybe today you absolutely believe that and you're in a space where you can just praise him. Or maybe you're new to church or you're just coming back to checking out faith or you're a follower of Jesus but you're experiencing a real low in your life right now or there's a situation that's gnawing away at you and maybe today your prayer needs to be, God, help me believe these things are true about you. Help me to see your goodness and your love. Unless we first get to know who God is and see that he's worthy of our trust, we won't devote ourselves to him. I encourage you to read through the whole prayer and then read back through it again once or twice slowly, seeing if maybe there's a line or a phrase that stands out to you. Let that become your prayer today. Read these words and remember that this is who God is. As followers of Jesus, this is the God we love. This is the God to whom we are devoted.